get it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Tonight's film is Snowden, uh, the latest from Oliver Stone. And um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt stars as Edward Snowden. Now, spoilers ahead of this podcast, we will be discussing it. Having seen the film, if you haven't seen the film, perhaps you don't want to listen to the rest of this. Or if you don't mind having it spoiled, by all means, carry on. This film used to be earlier in the year. I mean, it was supposed to be released last year, but... um, they have some confidence in it because they've moved it into prime uh, Oscar bait kind of season. What do you think? Does it have the legs? Uh, it, well, it'll be interesting with the election coming up with both uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Uh, none of them are talking about the surveillance issues that this film raises. So it's going to be interesting to see that come to light, if at all, um, with e- either president, uh, uh, whichever uh, president is elected. So it'll be really interesting if that helps alleviate the film into, the, you know, the, the mainstream um, discussion. As it stands in Australia, uh, particularly Canberra, this uh, feels like it's getting a very limited release. I thought with the weight behind this film with jo- uh, uh Joseph Gordon-Levitt's and Oliver Stone, I actually thought this would get a mainstream success and I'm really disappointed to only find this in select cinemas and, you know, everyone else is playing the Blair Witch Project, you know, not not putting down that film, but I think Snowden deserves a, a much wider release considering how well you know the the power of the of the stars behind this film we got Nicolas Cage in there for instance and uh you know and the craftsmanship behind it it is actually in limited release in melbourne as well um i did have to look not to my local cinema but to a, a deeper further out cinema to actually find it i didn't look it up at all beforehand i wanted to go in as fresh as possible i'd seen the trailer some time ago uh but i'd sort of discounted it from um from oscar season because I did a video, which is on our YouTube channel, where I tried in February to accurately predict the Oscar nominations for next year, so more than a year out from the Oscars. I discounted it because it did fall in a window where I thought it doesn't have a chance. Now I've got to reconsider it because here we are and, you know, it's almost October and it's being released. So I've got to decide in my head whether or not, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a good job acting and whether Oliver Stone has made a great film here. I do think this is a really high quality film, but I am thinking perhaps Joseph Gordon-Levitt, though I really enjoyed his acting performance, maybe it's more of like an impersonation than an acting performance. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because uh, I was about to say his the voice that he got down was amazing. Like I, I just it was just like I was forgetting that was Joseph Gordon-Levitt's, and he really embodied that. Um, uh, Snowden, but yeah, it was like, is, does that count as an impersonation or is he actually walking in Snowden's shoes sort of thing? Yeah, and I mean, when you see the end of the film, you actually see Edward Snowden. You, obviously, there's physical similarities and he did a very good job. And in a way, I felt like, you know, it's a very big success. The limited release of this does kind of, you know, fill me with doubt. And as well, the fact that I suppose, um, in a way, it felt like 
they were just recreating scenes from his life. It was almost like, um, you know, those recreation shows where they show the crime has just happened. Oh, yeah, those those doco dramas sort of thing. Yeah, or like from a police point of view, you know, with Crime Watch type stuff. I did, I did thoroughly enjoy Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but there wasn't a huge acting stretch. There wasn't a moment where I thought, wow, what a speech or what a moment, you know, for his character. Um, it did sort of fall a bit flatter than than I thought uh, performance-wise. So, I mean... Yeah, I think that's a bit of the character of um, uh, Snowden himself. He doesn't seem like that character who gives a huge outburst or anything like that. Like He's very the, introverted, yeah. yeah. Yeah, introverted, bland, I've heard some critics say. So, yeah, I don't think, like, we, I'm thinking now of Oscar nominations and they play little clips from movies and it's usually always an outburst, like we talked about Spotlight and how, of course, they played... Um, uh, that that one actor who had that outburst. Uh, he plays the Hulk. Oh my gosh! I'm Mark Ruffalo. Mark, yeah. Mark Ruffalo's outburst. They do. In fact, I think you even laughed, uh, commented about that on our podcast. Going, of course, they had to play that outburst in the the Oscar nomination clips and and so forth. I can't think of anything in Snowden. Maybe the speech at the end. Maybe a, a, a fragment of that. Maybe. I mean, I really, I really would enjoy seeing him nominated. He's a quality actor and he's done good work. And it would be fun to see him amongst a group here, but... He'll get there eventually, I believe, yeah. yeah. I sort of feel like maybe this is Tom Hanks for Sully, um, although I'm yet to see the film. For me, there's sort of some more authenticity there. Maybe the Clint Eastwood director tag will help, and they're both currently in cinemas, and I think they're both going to be duking it out, but Sully's had a much wider marketing and release. Maybe the studio has more faith in it. Anyway, uh, did you have an intro by Oliver Stone at the beginning of the film? No, I did not. Ah, see, we had a we had a clever little intro by Oliver Stone where he holds up a mobile phone and he discusses how all the, the private information we're putting online can be our downfall and that, you know, using this little tool can have so much power and, uh, you know, so much responsibility and everything. And then... I did work this out partway through, but it was a turn off your mobile phone ad. But, you know, Oliver Stone introduced it and it was fun. I'm so jealous. Uh, by, by the way, guys, I'm a huge, huge Oliver Stone fan. If you guys go to our YouTube channel and check out uh, the review I did on The Hand, which is one of his early films, I actually said in that um, video review that Oliver Stone currently is the best film director working in the world uh, this day to this day and I still believe that to be true although he hasn't had a massive hit in a while um, I still believe the films he's coming out with are very important extraordinarily well crafted like you cannot deny how well made they are even if you absolutely hate the film but he is reaching as as high as he can he's always making films that comment on, on a historical perspective or it really um, it discusses very, very important issues um, in our current times. And he's, you know, not holding back. He's um, throwing <laughs> these massive punches as much as possible, like asking these uh, uh, questions, but all from a dramatic perspective. And I think a very, very underrated movie that came out in recent years was W, 
Um, I think that's an incredible film. Josh Brolin did a great job in it. But yes, I do agree it's hard to look past some of the uh, performances in that film, just how they were presented, in particular how Condoleezza Rice was presented. Somebody was a person actually said to me looked like she was a Thunderbird character, <laughs> like a Muppet. Yeah, I was just like, geez, <laughs> that's a pretty harsh criticism. But um, I, I do think uh, this film, Snowden, it, again, is extremely well made. I, I do need a, a, a few more viewings to really process what I just saw. But I got to say, the audience reaction to this film, they were hooked. Like, I had a pretty packed crowd. They were hooked onto every single word and it's just great seeing no one flip out their phones throughout the whole movie because that's happened to me so many times recently where somebody's yeah, looking a pet at peeve oh of yours, my isn't gosh it? I can't stand <laughs> just the flashing lights just distracts me so much and at the very end of the film this old guy gets up and he goes um, watch yourselves ladies and gentlemen America's spying on Australia too don't think you're safe and I was just like, wow, it really affected some people, you know. And um, I unfortunately, I didn't stay for the whole credit sequence at the end. But from what I saw, they just showed a montage of modern imagery of, you know, technology and spy gear and all that. And then it, I think they inserted a lot of current political leaders and their views on Snowden and what they're going to do to him. But I don't know if you stayed for all the post-credit sequence. Uh, I stayed until it became like a scrolling credit. Um, they did show some news headlines that basically said the NSA would be revising its techniques and, um, you know, it did imply that Snowden had some effect on policy and changed some stuff uh, for the better, which was the whole message of the film. I mean, it took the side of Edward Snowden, obviously, so... Oh, yeah, there was maybe... That's one of my criticisms of the film is how much hero worship was in the movies, <laughs> like maybe a little too much. Like, I get Oliver Stone gets really emotionally attached to his storytelling and you feel that all throughout the, his movies. You cannot deny how much of a soul he's interjected into every single one of the films he's done. But, yeah, maybe it's a bit too much. You even have a journalist going, I've met many people, but you're certainly the top of the... Or something like that. I'm just like, oh, geez, give it a rest, <laughs> Mr. Stone. <laughs> I mean, I, I like that they... It had part elements of the social network to it in that it's a you know computer hacker who's very clever. And say it, Dave. And, say Black Hat. I just want you to say it once in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we did a whole podcast on Black Hat. I don't have to mention it again, do I? <laughs> Look, I, re I really enjoyed the film, and I've got to say my audience as well. Nobody was distracted, and ev everybody's attention was held. It wasn't a huge crowd. I did watch it during the day, so um, you know I'll put it down to that. Look, there were all these sequences where... You know, Risa Fan, um, Nicolas Cage, even Shailene Woodley, you know, everybody else got uh, these, these huge moments. I hadn't looked up anything about the film beforehand. And when I saw Nicolas Cage, I didn't even know he was in the film. Yeah, neither did I. It was hilarious. Like, I was like, there's Nicolas Cage. And the fact that it was Nicolas Cage really distracted me from the character he was playing. It did add to that kind of hero worship where uh, it was like, oh, you did it, Edward Snowden, at the end. Um, which I found all that very distracting. I wish I they showed some of the reaction of his hacker buddies as well. Like, yeah. uh, I just want to know what their opinion was on one of their own um, going rogue on them. Like, it would have been great just to see a shot, but obviously oh, there's no way to get in touch with those guys. They're sealed up. You know, there's no way they're going to come forth with an interview for Oliver Stone and tell him their opinion. So I guess they can only go so far as to what um, 
Edward Snowden himself saw from those um, hacker buddies, and that's the way. Uh, that's where the film leaves it. I did feel like the whole sequence where he gets the SD card and the other guy stands on it for him, very much done for the drama. Yeah, absolutely. Never happened, I'm sure. I wish they showed subtitles to what they were saying to each other as well. For the sign language, yeah. Yeah, for the sign language, what they were talking about. I was just like, oh. i, I got to say, this film gave me a really eerie feeling and in particular, when he first sees the the magnificent program in Geneva, or the, sorry, this sinister program, I should say, in Geneva, how the guy's just casually typing in words going, oh, yeah, we could find out about the banker's um, sister-in-law, and then they have a daughter, and then the daughter has a boyfriend, and then they're looking through a, a video camera on a person's... Um, a laptop and it's yeah, a the webcam. Yeah, yeah, it's an Arabian lady getting undressed and he's going, Oh, I always wanted to know what's under there. It was so seedy and awful. It made me feel sick. I was like, oh my gosh. And I had to remind myself that this isn't science fiction, you know? Like my favorite scene of the film currently is when he's talking about how he you look up this person, this person knows that person, but then you're looking up a bartender, and before you know it, you're looking up two million people. The reach of the of what he had at his fingertips and what they were viewing uh, through people's phones, through people's uh, camera on their uh, computers, and it just all goes to that computer network that uh, goes into like an eye. Like, I guess, like, uh, the CGI of it just all meshes into this perspective of an eyeball. Like, I guess, obviously, the the idea there is Big Brother is always watching you. And it, it just really creeped me out. I felt really sick watching that. Well, it was successful then, because I think that's what they were going for. You wanted that in Black Hat. Black Hat didn't succeed in showing the power of the hackers, how they were able to hack into that, like, or how you're afraid to even look at your phone because a hacker could just hack into that. I think this film succeeded in that area, which Black Hat didn't have. Now, I remember once I was at your place, you had, like, a sticker over the camera, the webcam. Well before this film, obviously, Lloyd. I want to give you some credit for that. <laughs> I just want to know how you heard about it and whether or not like, it was a Snowden thing. or A friend of mine, she said, I think she had it on her laptop. And I go, what's that? And she goes, oh, I always put a tape there. I don't like cameras looking at me. And I mm. go, what do you mean? And he goes, oh, because you don't know who's looking at you. I heard a teacher friend of mine gotten fired as a teacher because her camera... I, I don't know, her camera was on and she didn't know about it or somebody hacked in or whatever and she was getting undressed and she got fired because she was putting up, uh, uh, you know, uncensored images of herself out there. And I go, that's ridiculous. And ever since then, a camera's looking at me, I just have to cover it. It's just an instinct now. And now you'll cover them even more and I'm sure other people <laughs> will as well yeah. because of this film. Look, I really enjoyed all of the stuff in present day. You know, you're seeing all the Zachary Quinto and uh, Melissa Leo and uh, Tom Wilkinson as the three journalists meeting him in a hotel room. Uh, there was a nice tension to that. Obviously, you know the real-life story a little bit, then, um, you know, you know that he gives interviews and, you know, he becomes the poster boy for this and he is viewed as a traitor. So, you know, that takes away a little bit of the tension, but it was, it was very well done. Most of what the Snowden story that I knew involved the Rubik's Cube and how he snuck out the files. Yeah, they, they made sort of a big deal about that on the news and, like, sensationalised it a little bit. And that's what I was thinking, uh, you know, just back to that Oscar bait story, whether or not this could win Oscars. And, and in terms of Spotlight, it's like last year's Oscar winner, which we did cover on, on this podcast. People can go back and find it. Spotlight, for me, sheds light on, like, a big human rights issue and uh, it's one that 
people want to know about. But I feel like the powers that be in America will not want people to highlight this too much. They will not want uh, Edward Snowden being turned into this, like, immortal, I guess, good guy. This martyr. Uh, yeah, because they view him in the States, some people, as a traitor. Obviously, we're, we're disconnected from all of this. We're in Australia, but we're not disconnected from the issue of surveillance and things like that. But I, I feel like there's going to be some... The same way that people will only make this a limited release and people might talk about it fondly and, and like we are today, I feel like some other people will bury it. I, I, I have to agree with that. Yeah, I do believe... Like, not to sound like a conspiracy nut or anything, but I do feel like, yeah, if, if you could have just a little bit of power to shut this film down that's, you know, affecting your work area, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I do believe there are powers that be that can push those buttons and really try to bury this film a little bit, but... Uh, I, I just hope it does surface. Like, uh, like at the moment, it's not doing too well with uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I think currently it's at 65% or something like that. Last I checked, I'm not too sure. But I just hope with the election coming along, like this film does get a, a brief revival and really does come into the mainstream commentary because it's really well made talking about very important issues. I think Snowden really uh, is something that we need to um, discuss more and more. I haven't seen the documentary that's uh, characterised in the movie, which is uh, called Citizen 4, I think. Um, I haven't seen that at all, but I hear that's very good, and the movie definitely really um, got me going, like I want to see the documentary now. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how close to what they've got on the documentary footage, you know, yeah, what we saw in uh, Snowden, whether or not it matches. Great tension with uh, when he escapes from his hotel room. Yeah, um, how he has to go past all the reporters and everything like that. That was that was really really cool. And they think he's hiding out in a mansion when he's hiding out in a slum. Yeah, I, I, for some reason I felt almost like he was like Jason Bourne. Like although jo Joseph uh, Edward Snowden isn't a trained assassin or anything, like he did walk in a straight line. Like he knew where he had to go. Um, he he knew where to look, what to look for. He he's a, a trained. NSA agent really isn't he so he knows exactly what to look out for and I felt confident that where he was hiding out he wasn't going to be found and obviously in actuality he's still fine in Russia so um yeah that, that was uh really interesting that uh sense of tension and Oliver's one of Oliver Stone's favorite films was by Tony Scott uh called Enemy of the State and uh, which is a very prophetic film considering the age we live in. And uh, a lot of the imagery I feel in Enemy of the State was uh, heavily I in this movie to a certain extent. They definitely made him like a hero in a couple of moments. And one I thought was where they do the five-hour test in 38 minutes, where he's just that clever that he doesn't need like five times the amount of time. Uh, and he's like, oh, I I'm done to uh, Risa Fun's character Corbin. And uh, he goes, you don't have to tell me when you finished every stage. And he goes, oh, no, I'm, I'm completely done. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the moment I reckon they'd show in the Oscar, in the Oscar clip, uh, you know, how clever he is. And then the other one was when he's talking to Scott Eastwood, who's Trevor, who's his boss, and they're talking about the Dragnet program he created or whatever. He goes, oh, how did you hear about it? And he's like, I invented it. <laughs> Which were both big kind of glory moments, and I enjoyed both of them. I mean, for me, even though this went over two hours, 
the runtime was irrelevant because it was very good. I'm so happy to hear you say that, Dave, because all, so far a lot of the critics, like I briefly read over or listened to, that was the biggest complaint. Like they got really bored in the movie. I, I don't know what audience they saw this with, but my, me, myself included, but and the whole audience were really hooked on every single word in this movie. We're just like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> like I said, I was distracted by Nicholas Cage. <laughs> my, and... my only criticism is maybe to Shailene uh, Woodley, who yeah. plays Lin- Lindsay Mills. She kind of reminded me of Judy Greer in Ant-Man. Like, just this nagging wife going, well, why won't you tell me, you know? like, And that's nothing against Shailene Woodley. I think it's just the character. She just was that person, you know, to you know, to come home to, I can't explain what's going on. Why would you explain, you know, that back and forth? I think it happened like four times in the movie, you know, so I was yeah. getting a bit exhausted uh, with that constant beat of uh, that constant back and forth. Yeah, I, mean, I don't feel like she needed as many scenes as she got. They really did try and highlight a romance there, probably to sell us on that final line where uh, Lindsay meets him in Russia and, you know, like even now, like today, they're still together sort of thing. And to sell us a kind of big romantic sweeping story, I suppose, what they've done there is, you know, really had to push in a lot of scenes with uh, Shailene Woodley. I have heard that she sounds like a fascinating actress. I have heard that she, like, doesn't have a home and that she just lives in whatever hotel the studio put her up in to do whatever film she's doing. And she lives like a nomad, you know, with just one backpack kind of thing and people give her clothes to wear to premieres and things like that. She sounds like a really interesting person. Like, she's just living this interesting gypsy lifestyle. Yeah, which, uh, you know, sort of fascinating, but... Probably because she can afford to as well. <laughs> oh, obviously, yeah. With, with success comes the ability to do that. I mean, um, yeah. When, um, when I saw Scott Eastwood on the screen, you're familiar with Scott Eastwood? He's going to be in the new uh, Fast and the Furious film. My wife and I have this joke now where we talk about Back to the Future being remade. If it does get remade, you know, with... I don't know who, like Michael J. Fox's kid or something. Uh, as Scott Eastwood's star rises, when he gets sent back in time, he's going to, you know, to present day, 2016-ish, he's going to say, Eastwood, Scott, Eastwood. Because <laughs> the more and more exposure he gets, like the more you get the feeling that joke will land in a remake or, you know. I mean, I don't know that Back to the Future will ever be remade and I'm not sure it should be, but um, oh, yeah. D- don't be surprised, Dave, when it does happen. Oh, it's a never say never. I'm still waiting to see some footage from the remake of Memento they're going to do. Oh, gosh. So, oh, God. So too soon about that, anyway. Uh, with Shailene Woodley's character, Lindsay Mills, how it says they rekindled together again in Russia, I never got that from the character that she really loved him and despite all these horrible things that have happened to Edward Snowden, he's been you know pretty much hunted by the American government effectively... She, despite it all, she still stayed loyal to him. I never got that from the character that's been uh, depicted in the film. So I think they failed uh, in giving that um, that sense to what the character did in the end. Like they, they should have really uh, put more strength into Lindsay Mills's character. I feel the amount of photos she was taking was annoying. Then, <laughs> yeah. Well, then there's the amount of photos that are on their walls and they're all pictures of her. And it seems like she's very, like she's a photographer and that's fine. But the, the way they put up all those pictures, I know he didn't want to be photographed, but couldn't she have taken pictures of some strangers or some scenes? I just felt like every picture was her and that made her seem really sort of selfish. 
And as well, including that scene where she still looks up on the computer, other men, was a strange choice. You know, like, she, the scene is that when he's away for work, she's on her computer, she still looks at other men on, like, this Match.com type, or I think it's GeekDate.com or something. She's still looking at other men's profiles, and, like, not that she's meeting with any of them, but she's just, like, wondering what it'd be like or something. But then as well, she's talking to that artist at the party, which... Gave us a really good moment where Risa Fan's character, huge in the frame. I was, on yeah, I was going to bring that up. That it's an interesting staging there. He's like, uh, it just brings forth the two things: one, the power of the technology, and Risa Fan's is the embodiment of the head of this big brother and he's literally projected as almost like the Wizard of Oz character, you know, he's just like, oh, by the way, she's not screwing that photographer friend. You're just like, geez, that guy's watching everything. <laughs> mm. He's got somebody surveilling them. And there was that great moment when they're in Japan right before they climb Mount Fuji and the two of them are having a fight. And there's that one shot where the cameras pops outside like somebody's watching them and we never see somebody watching them, but it's very uneasy. And I really enjoyed that, just throwing in that extra shot. And so, you know, you can kind of speculate that they were being watched the whole time, at least uh, under surveillance, like microphones and cameras in their house, you know. And Risa Fan's character, Corbin O'Brien, he, he does reveal that she's under surveillance in that scene, and it's quite eerie, and he has to kind of basically pretend he's still on board, and he lies briefly about um, what program he used and... And, you know, when he lied on his, uh, what do you call it, uh, lie detector test. So, uh, I mean, she was a bit of a question mark in the film. For me, there was probably a few too many scenes and maybe they didn't quite focus on the right stuff because I, I like the fact that she's a liberal and he kisses her and says, tastes like liberal. Presumably he's a Republican. I didn't enjoy the fact that she knew right away he was a spy. She, she seemed a bit too um, over... Too clever. Yeah, too clever. Yeah, like, and for right away, for her to be like, hmm, yeah, I'm sure. Like, yeah, you're a spy, you're going to have to learn to lie better. I was like, okay, that would have been more fun as a reveal where they started off just like a relationship. You know how to do an IP, I don't know, chase or whatever to identify where he, his location? Yeah. And just like her IT skills never came in again. Oh, but they, but they met on Geek Date or whatever, Lloyd, so she's a geek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a chick that good looking is going to be on Geek Duck. <laughs> yeah, she's a geek who also does pole dancing for that one scene. <laughs> I thought as well the shot where... Some of it was paranoia, like, you you know, some of it was great because he puts the, the phones in the microwave. Yeah, and... that was cool. That was awesome. Like, again, that, um, like that Jason Bourne idea that you're very comfortable with this character despite all this fancy technology that seems to be everywhere, there are these people who know exactly how to counteract that, almost like Gene Hackman's character in The Conversation and in, in Enemy of the State. There's something comfortable about being with those characters Go, don't worry, we've got Joseph... Go oh, sorry, we've got Edward Snowden here. He knows what to do. Put those um, put those phones in the microwave. And then he puts, <laughs> he puts that blanket over himself. I thought he was like actually going yeah. to do another hacking trick there oh it was just to cover his uh, passwords <laughs> yeah which i mean i didn't quite get just because they have like keystroke technology where they can see exactly what somebody typed and steal people's passwords that way and i mean I've, i presume they've had that for a few years so if, if they can get onto his computer if they can find him they can use some kind of keystroke rubbish to to get his password so i didn't know what that blanket was doing that that felt excessive to me but anyway <laughs> i'm sure this film has been very very well researched of course. And, you know, he's lived it. Like, Oliver Stone did talk to Edward Snowden. He went and met him and 
played him a cut of the film, apparently. And also, at the end, he's actually in the film. Exactly, yeah. This film as well highlights how Obama has aged because it covers his entire presidency. Yeah, and it sort of vilifies him um, in, in this film as well, that he wasn't the saviour. Like, I like the build-up, oh, hopefully Obama gets elected, he'll change things, and he just made things worse. Like, he's really aggressive when it comes to surveillance, you know? He's mm. really hunting Snowden for his um, treachery, so to speak. I did enjoy the bit where they talk about, well, you know, we put in these sleeper programs that will turn off all the power if uh, they're not allies anymore, when they're, t- when they're talking about Japan and what they're really doing. Yeah. And he says, uh, you know, this is about social and economic control. And that was leading into the speech where they, you know, talk about two million people can be surveilled at one time. It sort of made me think, you know, Japan's probably like looking at all their I stuff. Know, going, I know, I was like, I was again, that's why I had that reaction going, is this a science fiction film? No, it's real. Like, obviously, this is an extremely well-researched film based on fact. Isn't countries from all over the world going, they can do that? Holy crap, they could just shut us down with a keystroke, you know, really shut a country down. Just that idea that everything we look at from the moment you get up in the morning, you, you make your breakfast, you go to work, everything is run by computers. And it's just that idea that the this um, government agency has the complete utter power to just shut you off completely, just end um, modern civilization, so to speak, is scary. And as Corbyn says... Secrecy is security and security is victory because, you know, there's no World War Three, as he says, you know, they've they've been managing things. So Oliver Stone, this is his first time shooting in digital. The one time I really noticed it was when we were using the footage from the doco that's being shot. You know, how did you find that? I, I love those images. Something that Michael Mann would do, you know? So yeah, that's true. Yeah, it just reminded me a lot. The, a lot of the imagery in this film reminded me a lot of Black Hat. And uh, it's just interesting to, to see, um, like, two world-class elite directors take on a similar subject of hacking and how similar their images look. Like, it is di- a digital world. Let's use digital technology to capture it. And I don't know, all that really excites my mind. I'm just like, wow, i got to rip this off somehow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was good to see those scanners in the airports, you know, the ones that do the full-body scan. I'd forgotten about those, and that's just another you know, topic where people were wondering about invasions of privacy because it does flash up a completely nude person, you know. How eerie is the footage of the drone shots? How he looks, oh, you know, when he first gets to Hawaii and he's looking at all these um, uh, computers and everything like that, they're introducing him to the job. I think it's Scott Eastwood that's telling him what they do. And Mm -hmm. then um, we see him talking to somebody over the over the comms and then a missile drops down on somebody i guess in a middle eastern country or or whatever and they just blow up you know they just turn to dust it's just yeah. such a scary image and we're we're so used to it now like um from news reports and everything like that but drones are really the finger of god you know like anyone they want dead they can just go yep they're they're gone and i mean drones are scary things they've got the footage now people can have hooked up guns to drones, you know, yeah. um, had them fire guns and things like that. So it's, yeah, it's all happening, isn't it? Skynet taking over and uh, soon we'll all be dead. I, I think Oliver Stone is afraid, like there is a sense of optimism in this film that maybe people like Snowden will come forward and Snowden is the banner, is the name that people will cry out and it shows his name, then it shows the V for Vendetta mask, um, like it showed that idea of uh, Occupy Wall Street, that maybe in the future more people 
will step forward and um, you know uh, expose what the government is doing. But at the same time, there is this huge fear of what how powerful the government is now because of the technology that they have at hand. Uh, it is very scary. And I, I do feel, despite the optimism towards the end of this film, I do feel it'll be eclipsed purely by just the uh, almost uh, autonomous power of, um, of hacking and, 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 and technology. Look, I mean, I, I did enjoy the optimistic stance it took, but I sort of thought, if I'm the government and I'm doing this thing that, you know, now I know how I can do, and the American government will think other governments are doing this, even if we stop... So we're not going to stop. We're just going to make it more secret, the fact that we're doing it. I would assume just more layers go into it now and, and more security And eventually clearance. a super program will get made that, you know, does everything that they want it to do. So I don't see how you could stop that, you know, unless there's these, um, you can buy an iPhone, it comes with an RF shield or something automatically. Oh, don't worry, it's hack proof, you know, <laughs> or something like that. There might be a market for that at some point. Yeah, definitely. The other thing is if you've been hacked or if your photos and things have been stolen and uploaded somewhere, you probably will never know. That was a discussion they briefly addressed. Uh, I guess it was not even really addressed, but in the social network where they were talking about, oh, maybe privacy is a thing of the past. It just doesn't exist for this modern times. You know, the way how we grew up, Dave, that we knew what privacy was, but do kids who grew up in this modern age of being automatically hooked up to this social media, well, like, they're photos of them before they're even aware of it, so to speak, because people taking, you know, their parents taking photos of them growing up, uploading it to the internet, you know what I mean? They're already connected to the world before they're consciously aware of it, so it's yeah. pretty interesting. I mean, I can see, you know, people putting up pictures of their kids on their own accounts where they control the security, but people as well will create accounts for their kids you know you see social media for people's dogs and stuff like that in the same way uh, people will create instagrams and create facebook accounts for their children when they're born theoretically if you follow that then you're going to get all the baby updates rather than them littering their own feed fingers crossed everyone uses security and things like that but even so you see in this film it you know people can can hack through and and it was interesting when they use search words like attack bush that they get those like, you know, oh, I'm going to attack your bush kind of like sexual stuff as well. I imagine there would be like half the stuff they search for, you know, would be useless. <laughs> Some of the, when it was revealed how much they could see into computers, I'm just reminded of that Joe Rogan joke again. I don't care if somebody hacks my computer. You know what they're going to see? They're going to see a 45-year-old comedian beating off. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Joe Rogan fan, Lloyd, you are. Uh, when they're showing the heart beat program uh, and they're showing the most data is being collected from the US and there's the bunch of them are standing around uh, that was the only time we really get a sniff of him having a plan you know the only time we sort of know he's going to do something and it wasn't really sold as a big I have to do something type moment it was sold to us like oh this isn't right is it and other people going no that's not right and that was it like it was very low key so I felt like it could have driven into a really big third act if he had kind of said to his girlfriend, I have to do something and I just want to tell you that I have to do it and you won't understand until afterwards or something. But there was no speech, no moment, no... Um, it was very downplayed. Like, I mean, I'm guessing that's how it happened. But, you know, he thought for a long time about the fact that he had to do something and then did it. Did you think the guy with tattoos who was talking about the drone stuff was Tom Hardy? No. Uh, at the fire pit where he collapses with his epileptic fit... 
there was a guy with tattoos wearing a kind of a trucker hat with a bit of a beard. Um, I just wondered if you thought that was Tom Hardy in that shot. No, it didn't even <laughs> cross my mind. <laughs> okay. Because there's this actor and he's in Prometheus. And I know we talked about this on the Prometheus podcast. Logan Marshall Green. I knew it was him right away. He looks like the budget version of Tom Hardy. When, when you can't get Tom Hardy, you get Logan Marshall Green. And he probably gets lots of work because he looks a lot like Tom Hardy. And he, he seems like a decent actor. I mean, I've never seen him have to stretch his acting chops. But this guy, Logan Marshall Green, played male drone pilot on IMDb. I, for a second, was like, is that, that can't be Tom Hardy. And then the second time I saw him, I went, oh, it's Logan Marshall Green, whose name I know from our Prometheus podcast. And it was. <laughs> it was budget Tom Hardy. We saw, as well, the um, the government repurposing programs. Like, Nicolas Cage spoke about the fact that he created something and then he was never told why it was rejected. And then Edward Snowden created Epic Shelter and it was repurposed for drones. And, and you know, that they have some bigger agenda in mind if, if you create a bit of software that it can be reused, repurposed, and, and you might never, never know. You know, he was in a position where he obviously got to find out what they were doing with Epic Shelter, but quite frightening, and the agenda seems to be ever-changing. Yeah, it's like you do a deal with the devil, you know, you're going to get lots of cool stuff. Like, obviously, he got paid very well to have this beautiful house in Hawaii, but at the same time, your soul is sort of slipping away, and I think he saw, saw definitely saw that with the drone shots, just how all these people could just be terminated just like that, and it's just like, wow, I'm, I'm going to lose myself if I keep going down this road, and so will the country. I thought um, all the Rubik's Cube escape stuff was handled well. Yeah, that was so tense. <laughs> but as I said, that was the part I knew. So that was the part I, I the only part I knew definitely about the Snowden story. Yeah, well, um, uh, one of the big criticisms of this uh, film is that everyone said, oh, if, if you've seen Citizen Four, you've pretty much seen the movie. It's just dr a dramatised version of that. And I was really disappointed to hear that. I bet you if I see Citizen Four, like, yeah, it'll be a really interesting documentary, but that doesn't take away from a very good quality movie, which I think Snowden is. It's You can't take away how well crafted this film is. And both you and I believe it's a really well done, you know, we were engaged the whole entire time time so uh, i don't know maybe it's just too um uh, still too much on the minds of uh, uh many critics out there like that that citizen four documentary well i haven't seen the documentary either so i guess we're both in the same boat as this being the most we've been exposed to the story but um, i'm sure people will let us know on our facebook or twitter accounts yeah look he ends up in russia the end of the film obviously we get to see edward snowden and there's a nice little reveal from you know the camera panning to the side of the laptop I think I've seen that um, interview with the robotic uh, uh, screen, how that can move around. I just find that, like, if you were to show me that 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I'd be like, what kind of sci-fi movie is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You're talking to a robot. <laughs> we get to hear him speak, obviously, uh, through that speech to an audience, and then we kind of get a bit of a voiceover at the end, and... You know, no matter what happens tomorrow, he's happy with what he's done today. So we've seen that story and, and we've lived that story and it's hard not to empathise with him, you know, when we're given this very convincing portrayal from Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I just feel a bit like it's not going to be rewarded with Oscars, maybe an Oscar nomination, but it does feel like the kind of film that people higher up will 
And then this is a, a thing about Oliver Stone. He does pick the thing that is most controversial. Yeah. You know, W, you mentioned. JFK. World Trade Center as well. Yeah. Like, uh, Nicolas Cage was in that. Yeah, he... I mean, let's try and predict what he's going to do next. Are we going to see a Trump film? That, because that's that's pretty... a really good call, Dave. And, um, yeah, that's just exciting in my mind if he's going to do a Donald Trump uh, movie. If he do... Like, even if he does fail the election... It'd still be a very interesting movie to see this guy that's just completely out of left field come forth and nearly win the presidency, you know. But uh, I don't know with uh, Oliver Stone, I, I feel like he's really hungry. He's still got, like a Ridley Scott, like a Michael Mann, they've still got this youthful energy that's within them and they want to tell all these stories, but they are, you know, um, aging as well. So it's harder, for, yeah, it's getting harder for them to get projects greenlit, I think. But, you know, I... I will just say uh, the the film ends with a song by Peter Gabriel called The Veil, and I'm guessing it was written for the film. Um, it just reminded me of An Inconvenient Truth. There was a song written exactly for the documentary uh, that was Oscar-nominated and I believe won. And this this just felt like Oscar bait, the, the song from uh, Peter Gabriel, and a bit too on the nose. If anything's nominated from this film, I'm assuming it will be that song, as well as Joseph Gordon-Levitt's performance. I think they'll overlook Oliver Stone, but like I said, this was well-crafted and um, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great return to form, Lloyd. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you have that opinion. I don't know if he's working on anything now. I don't know if you've looked that up. No, I haven't had a chance yet. Cool. I'll give it a quick look now. I'll just tell people that the next time on the podcast, we're going to be looking at an Australian film called Embedded. Just a heads up about that. Uh, Lloyd, did you want to tell people about... We're currently doing some giveaways of uh, digital codes. Hey, guys, I know a lot of people are interested in this. I buy a lot of Blu-rays and DVDs. I'm a u- I'm, I won't say I'm a huge collector, but I do love buying these from Amazon. And I do have a lot of ultraviolet codes, which I know a lot of people are really keen on. And some people have been messaging me, or oh, do you can I have the ultraviolet codes? So I'm happy to give them away. It's just that if you could share this post on Facebook or retweet it on Twitter, we'll give away. Um, currently, I've got Batman vs. Superman, the um, ultimate edition, ultraviolet code still up to give away. And I've just gotten Aliens, the James Cameron film. Uh, they've released a new 30th, I think, a special edition, anniversary edition or something like that. I've also got the ultraviolet code of that. So if you if you could just retweet this post uh, or share it uh, on uh, Facebook, and I will uh, choose uh, from one of those people to, to give the codes to. So if you're interested in that, it um, should be pretty easy to, to get the codes from us. Oliver Stone's got nothing else listed in, in production for his director status on IMDb. So we'll wait and see. Obviously, Lloyd, you'll be you'll be keen to see anything that <laughs> Oliver Stone does. does I, uh, yeah, yeah. You've mentioned before he's your favorite working director in uh, across the board, really. Well, so. yeah, I think he's the best uh, director currently in the working in the world today. Like above Martin Scorsese and above Christopher Nolan. Like although those two guys are powerhouses, I just think he makes films that are very very important, um, almost like the Shakespeare of our times. A Shakespeare always told stories about the kings and um, histories of his time, and I, I feel like um, uh, Oliver Stone is at least trying in that direction. Well, Snowden, there you go. We've covered it on the podcast. You can find a whole archive of our podcasts at www.podmeifyoucan.com. There's a little search bar on the top right kind of thing, and um, if you click in there, have a search. I know there's a five years almost worth of podcasts to go back through. 
But uh, if there's one you're looking for, the search bar is really easy to find it there on the um, on the website. There's also links to uh, our Facebook page, nice and easy to find. You can find us on Twitter. And as well, we've got a YouTube channel which is mostly dedicated to uh, obscure films with famous stars in them. So if uh, you guys feel like checking out a film you've probably never heard of, about every week we put up another video, uh, which is either myself or Lloyd, uh, discussing an obscure film, but the one thing they have in common is some famous celebrity at the top or bottom of their career. So uh, a lot of fun doing those, and um, we've just passed half a million views. So uh, many thanks to those who've checked out our YouTube channel as well. Uh, So next time on the podcast, guys, an Australian film called Embedded, and we'll talk to you then. Hit it. For listening, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod me if you can. Movie reviews.